In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. So, what do you do with your emptiness? You know what I mean, we all do it. Speaking for myself, I come home from the office late. I'm tired. My sweetheart lives in Sonoma County, so my apartment is empty. I've got an hour or two before bedtime with no one to distract me from my loneliness, so of course, I reach for the remote control. Turner Classic Movies. That's my go-to place to avoid my feelings. I love watching those great old movies from the 30s and 40s, beautiful window into a bygone era. But if there's nothing there that interests me, there's, of course, always YouTube, Netflix, Twitter, Facebook, Words with Friends, email, Pinterest, Solitaire, or if I'm really feeling alone in the universe, all of that simultaneously. (laughs) Anything to avoid the thought that I really don't want to have, anything to avoid what is really less a thought than a sensation down in the pit of my stomach, which if I had to put words to it, would come out sounding like, huh, here I am, alone in a vast and meaningless universe, spinning into oblivion, and someday soon I'm gonna die. And what exactly is the point anyway? (laughs) This is why I make it a point on a daily basis to put down the remote control and turn off the phone so that I can pray and meditate and read spiritual books and poetry. And why, every Friday morning, I go into a sensory deprivation tank and float for 90 minutes in absolute quiet and complete darkness. Because I've learned the hard way that the best thing to do with existential dread is to learn to enjoy the discomfort it brings me so that I can turn toward it, embrace it, and about once a month on a Sunday morning, talk about it in front of 500 of my favorite friends. (laughs) I used to think that if I meditated enough, you know, and prayed enough, and was poor enough, and nice enough, that I would finally, I would finally find enlightenment, and I wouldn't have to do all that stuff anymore. But it turns out that just because I found a deep and joyful peace yesterday doesn't mean I won't be seized by terror this very afternoon when I come home to my empty apartment and I can't find the remote control. It does make you wonder what they did in the ancient days before the invention of television. Well, back in the time of Jesus, of course, people actually talked about the fact that sometimes life seems futile and there is no justice and then we die. The Bible is filled with existential dread and spiritual longing and unanswerable questions like how come hard-working farmers end up homeless on the streets while aristocrats sleep soundly on beds of ivory? They wondered actively and out loud What is wrong with this world that these things are allowed to happen? The problem was, apparently, they 
did not have cameras attached to their telephones back then. So instead of taking pictures of their cheeseburgers, they brooded over the fact that God seemed so far away and that there seemed to be something broken at the center of things. This is why they dared to imagine the day when God would finally come back to restore us and restore the world to its original wholeness and that there would no longer be any hunger or violence or injustice or poverty or death. No more existential dread or absurdity or ennui and thus, of course, no more earthly use for Twitter. This is why so many folks back then seemed to have a very high regard for this thing called wisdom. And maybe because they actually knew what it was like to be hungry for more than 15 minutes, they used to talk about wisdom as if it were food. In the book of Sirach, wisdom appears as a divine female who says, before the ages, in the beginning, he created me. Come to me, you who desire me, and eat your fill of my fruits. Those who seek her will be fed with the bread of learning, and she will give them the water of wisdom to drink. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Jesus? Again, probably because he didn't have Minesweeper installed on his phone, Isaiah imagined a day when God would return to this actual world and set things right. And again, he would come in the form of food. A heavenly banquet, in fact. A huge party to which we are all invited. On that day, God would establish a new covenant with us. God would no longer feel distant and removed. Justice and peace would prevail throughout the world. The law of God would be written on our hearts. Listen carefully to me, God says, and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. All this interest in food, and they didn't even have Yelp reviews back then. It's amazing. And so we come to this moment in Jesus' ministry, as reported in John's Gospel, where Jesus presents himself as wisdom, instructing his disciples to eat him, metaphorically, consume his wisdom, devour his teaching, and in so doing, enact the great banquet feast imagined by Isaiah. When Jesus started talking about himself as food, as the embodiment of wisdom, and as the realization of God's new covenant, some of his disciples just freaked right out. What is he talking about? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Taken out of context, taken literally, it sounded repulsive, ridiculous, and they walked away. I can understand that. There have been times in my life when Jesus' teachings seemed so obscure and confusing and difficult that I simply could not follow. I would hear Jesus say, believe in me, and I would reply, believe in what exactly? And by the way, how am I supposed to believe something that makes no sense to me? And I would walk away. 
But what I've discovered over the years is that it's not about belief so much as it's about this word that Jesus used all the time, abiding. The more I can simply sit with Jesus, the more I can simply abide with him, the more I can let Jesus be present to my deepest fears and anxieties and phobias and weaknesses and addictions and existential dreads. The more I can simply come into his presence, the more he shows up for me. And the more my suffering is revealed as the attachments, desires, ambitions, lusts, cravings of an outsized ego desperately fighting for its life, which all depends on the illusion that I am separate from God. So in today's gospel, Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Abide in me, Jesus says, as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This word abide is such a better word than believe. In fact, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says, it's a perfectly good way of understanding the Nicene Creed. Imagine saying, I abide in God the Almighty. It expresses the intimacy of communion with God without suggesting that in order to be saved, we have to believe a dozen impossible things before breakfast. It suggests that there's a place we can go, which is the field of our own truest selves at rest. And it suggests that there's something we can do, which is simply to rest in that field of abiding, beyond anxiety, fear, grasping, wanting, needing, or thinking. If it were up to me, I would simply take the bulletins that are in your hands today and I would remove that word believe and insert the word abide or I take refuge in or I love. But it turns out even the Archbishop of Canterbury is not able to turn back hundreds of years of tradition. But this is the deepest kind of abiding, to actually take into our bodies the body of Christ, to actually let our bodies absorb and become one with his body. No more intimate union with God can be imagined than that. Christ abides in us, we abide in Christ. The more deeply we allow ourselves to know this truth from the inside out, the more we begin to realize that we are not in fact, that we are in fact embodiments of God's love. We are actually vehicles of blessing and reconciliation. We are actually agents of God's healing and God's peace on this earth. This is what contemplative prayer and meditation does for us. It gets us out of our heads and into the reality of God that's fully alive in our midst. In my opinion, we don't need so much to believe it 
We need only to abide in God, sit with Jesus, breathe Jesus, listen to him, pray him, eat him, drink him, live him, love him, give ourselves to him as he gives himself to us. This is the wisdom of Jesus, alive in flesh and blood. This is not a virtual Jesus. This Jesus is analog. We can't post him or tweet him or friend him, but we can eat him, which it turns out is much more satisfying. Amen.